Good morning. I hope everyone's doing well this morning. It is a beautiful spring day outside, and by Wednesday it's supposed to be cloudy and snowy. So <laughs> welcome to springtime in Albuquerque. Yesterday was gorgeous. It was in the mid-70s. We took our grandbaby to the zoo. We had a lot of fun. He spent most of his time at the zoo just running around in circles. He was more interested in that than the animals, and that is okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, if you will turn with me to Joshua chapter 5, and again, as always, I encourage you to flip or click with me in your Bible. Joshua chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 13. Now, this is where the children of Israel had wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. All of the generation that, have, that were unwilling to trust in God had passed on. Joshua had a new generation of young people, and he was taking them into the promised land, the land that God had promised. So God did a miracle. He held back the waters of the Jordan. Even though it was flood stage, they crossed on dry ground. And then the first city that they were going to face was the city of Jericho. Now Jericho, archaeologists tell us that Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world. Hello, Azariah. Hey. We're not going to play guitar right <laughs> now. That was a little too slow, sorry. Yep. Um, archaeologists tell us that Jericho is one of the oldest continuously inhabited spots in the world. And so Jericho was a very well-established city. In fact, it was one of the most established cities and strongholds in the Promised Land. And so the Israelites going into the promised land to take possession of it, this was a stronghold that had to be conquered. And so God told them to take this one first. Okay? Yeah. So if you look at Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, there's this interesting little uh, story that happens. And I want to talk about what I feel this represents. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho... He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us, or are you for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray. Lord God, would you open the eyes of our hearts today to see you in the scripture? God, we thank you for your word, which is a true and trustworthy guide for us. And we ask, Lord, that you would make the soil of our hearts good so that your word can go in and produce a harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have this little vignette, right? They're outside Jericho. They're getting ready to go and assault the city of Jericho. And suddenly there's this guy standing there. And Joshua goes up to him and says, All right, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And this is what I imagine. I imagine this angel of the Lord looking at Joshua like this. Like, like he's looking at Joshua like, what makes you think that everything is about you? 
What makes you think everything is about who's on your side and who's against you? What makes you think that that's the point of this whole thing? And he doesn't even answer him. He says, nope. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. How often we think that everything that happens to us is about us and about our interests. In 1 Samuel 17, it tells the story of David and Goliath. Okay, So the armies of the Philistines came down to uh, fight against Israel and, and subject Israel to Philistine, uh, Philistinian rule. And so the two armies formed up, and as they formed up on either side of this valley, a giant warrior, literally giant warrior, would come out from among the Philistines. He was about nine and a half feet tall. And he would yell out curses and insults against the army of Israel. See, they were in a valley with a brook at the bottom. So whoever attacks first has the disadvantage because the other army is higher than they are. So armies would come together in these valleys and they would taunt each other trying to get the other army to attack first. Well, this giant, this champion uh, of the Philistines would come out and he would taunt the armies of Israel. Okay, And it says that the armies of Israel were completely afraid of this dude. So every time this guy would come out, they would run and hide, right? Well, David comes down to the army, and he's bringing some lunch for his brothers, and he's talking to everybody, and when he sees this giant come out, he asks about what's going on, and David is really offended that this guy is cursing his God and cursing his people, who are God's people, and so he says, I'll go fight him. And through a number of events, he ends up going down there. He takes uh, five smooth stones. You may have heard the story. And he has a sling, a shepherd's sling. He was offered a sword, uh, sword and armor, but it was too big for him. It didn't fit. So he took the five smooth stones and the slingshot. And he went down there. And the, uh, the giant was talking some smack. And then David talked some smack back, but David followed through and he took a stone and he launched it. And I believe that the Spirit of God guided that stone. It hit the giant in the forehead, sunk into his head. David went and took Goliath's sword, cut off Goliath's head with his own sword. Now, <clears throat> most of us are familiar somewhat with that story. So I want to ask you, when you read that story and you want to apply truths of that story to your life, what part do you play in that story? When you read the story of David and Goliath, what part do you identify with? You know, we're trained through storytelling, through movies and television, but really if you study history, it goes all the way back to all the storytelling that's been done throughout the ages. We tend to identify with one character in a story. If you watch a movie nowadays, they purposely make characters that are very identifiable to their target audience. If they're making a story that's based on a, a teen romance novel or, a, or a, a novel that has appealed to teens, guess what? Um, I don't know if you've ever seen those, those stories. I won't say the name, but the stories about the glittery vampires, you know, that all the teen girls were just all agog over. 
um, and you notice that the main character in the movies is just this angst-filled teenage girl. They always target an audience with the main character of the story. So when you read the story of David, what part do you identify with in the story? Usually the part we identify with is David. Here's this small, unseen boy with the call of God on his life, suddenly triumphing over the enemies of God. And usually when you hear this story preached, that's what you hear, that God wants to empower you to defeat the enemies in your life. Listen, it is okay to want to be used by God. That is all right. It is okay to understand that God has called you to something special. There's nothing wrong with that. It is okay to want to be mighty and strong in your faith and to overcome the obstacles in your life. That is all right. But you know what? Every passage of Scripture has multiple layers of truth. And there are primary interpretations of that Scripture and then any other interpretations have to submit to that primary interpretation of the Scripture. They can't contradict the primary interpretation of the Scripture. The primary interpretation of the story of David and Goliath is not about you. Yeah. And it's not about me. The main character in that analogy of, of the story of David and Goliath, if you turn that into analogy, the main character, David, represents Jesus. He doesn't represent you. He doesn't represent me. Now, there are truths that you can pull out of it by looking at yourself being in David's, in David's shoes or sandals or whatever he wore. But the primary hero that David is, a, is, a foretell, is foretelling of is Jesus. Jesus is the one who came down and found humanity lost in fear and hiding from an enemy more powerful than themselves. Jesus is the one who came down, not as a warrior, but as a shepherd. Jesus is the one who came down and didn't use swords and, and weapons to overtake the enemy, but he used his own weapons of a shepherd. And Jesus is the one who defeated the enemy for us. So what part do you and I actually play in this little drama? All right, turn to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to read a few verses. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 4. And again, please flip or click over there so you know that what I'm telling you is actually in the Bible. There are lots of teachers and preachers out there right now who will tell you that there's stuff in the Bible that isn't actually in the Bible. So whenever I send you to a scripture verse, I want you to confirm that what I'm saying is actually there. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. His height was six cubits in a span. That's about nine and a half feet tall. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's really heavy. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead 
weighed 600 shekels of iron, and a shield bearer went before him, and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me, and if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In the story of David and Goliath, do you know what part you and I play? We're the Israelite army. We're the ones who are hopelessly outclassed. We're the ones who have no chance of defeating this enemy. We're the ones who are uh, dismayed and greatly afraid. Jesus is the one who comes in and saves the day, not us. So David comes out to the camp and brings some food to his brothers, right? And 1 Samuel 17, look down in verse 23, says, As he talked with them, that's talking about David talking with the soldiers, Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. Do you realize you and I in this story are the soldiers of Israel who are very afraid and run away. Yeah. We are not David. We don't have the strength to fight the enemy who stands against us. You and I are the ones who are completely intimidated and at the mercy of an enemy who is stronger and more experienced at warfare than we are. We're the ones hiding in the rocks, trying to find safety from the enemy. We're the ones pulling over our heads whatever we think will give us security from the danger. Money and possessions, relationships, trying to take control of our circumstances and the people around us. We're the ones who are living in fear. Now look at 1 Samuel 17 verse 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Let me, let's be honest. Does that sound like you? When the enemy comes against you, most of the time, are you running down to the battle line? No, it sounds like Christ. Jesus came down and it says he set his face like flint. He set his face to go to Jerusalem and give his life for us and defeat the enemy of our souls. Verse 49, And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. <clears throat> so David, excuse me, <coughs> David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Verse 51, Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut his head off with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. 
And the men of Israel and Judah rose up with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that he, the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. <clears throat> and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. Listen, there is victory for you and victory for me in our lives. But it's not a victory that we secure. There's victory for us when we follow Jesus. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is the one who defeats the enemy. And when we go with him and follow him and walk in his victory is when we experience victory. It is only when we come out of our attempts to protect ourselves and follow Jesus that we actually have a victory. It's only when we follow the hero, Jesus. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Can you give me a cup of water, please? Yes. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Now this is the end of a story where Jesus took 72 of his followers... He empowered them with the power of the Holy Spirit and sent them out into villages to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And verse 17 says, the 72 returned with joy. Hey, babe. That was nice of you to be with them. That was kind of cool. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Okay, hold on. How are the demons subject to them? In Jesus' name, right? And he said to them, You know what? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Listen, your name is written in God's book, but you are not the main character of the book. Your name is written in God's book, but you are not the main character of the book. Jesus is the main character of the book of earth, of the book of the history of earth, the history and times of earth, Jesus is the main character. And people will argue with this, but you know what? I believe there's a reason why we look back at history now and separate it into B.C. and A.D. And they tried to erase Jesus from that and turn it into, instead of meaning Christ, it means the common era, before the common era, B.C.E., okay? And C.E., the common era. But you can't erase it because Jesus is the point at which it's separated. Right. Yeah. The story of humanity, the main character, the hero, is Jesus. You are written in the book, but your life story is only a chapter in the book about Jesus. Does that make sense? Yes. Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the hero. Now, we get to be a part of the story, mm-hmm. but as a supporting character not as the hero of the story. So why is this important? Why am I stressing this? Why am I so passionate about this? Do you know what? Let me, let's talk about what happens when we get this wrong. 
When we make ourselves the main character of the story instead of Jesus, let's talk about what happens. So God came to Abraham thousands of years ago, said, I am going to create for myself a nation. You are going to be the first one in this nation, and your offspring will be this nation. He chose the Israelites, that's what they ended up being called, out of all the peoples of the earth. He saved them from slavery out of Egypt, and he gave them his laws. And here is the recurring theme as he's giving his law over and over again. You read this. Look in Leviticus 22. Verse 31, Leviticus 22, starting in verse 31, God says, so you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord and you shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That word sanctifies means set apart, made um, separate, okay? He says, I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So over and over again, as God is giving the law to the people of Israel, he is telling them constantly, you're going to live by these laws because I am the Lord. I am holy. I am sanctified. So God set up, special diets and behaviors for the children of Israel and for the sons of Aaron who were his priests. But Israel got it all wrong. They got it all cattywampus. They got the horse uh, behind the cart because God didn't set Israel apart because Israel was special. I'm going to say that again. God did not set Israel apart because Israel was special. God set them apart because he is special. He is holy. And God gave them a special and sanctified way to live because they were supposed to represent God to the world. God gave the law to the, to the Israelites, not because they were so special, but because he is special. And they were supposed to be people who represented him. Now the Jews took all these special laws that God gave them and they made it all about themselves. They said, God chose us because we are special, we are set apart, and God likes us best. Goodness, allergies are terrible right now. Then, they, then what happened was because they assumed that God liked them the best and they had the laws because they were special, what they did was they excluded everyone else they made themselves the judges over everyone else. They counted everyone else unworthy. And by the time of Christ, by the time Jesus is walking the earth, the Pharisees and Sadducees considered themselves more special than anyone else. <clears throat> and the Jews in general considered themselves more special than any other nations, the Goyim, the Gentiles. So what you, happen, what you have is you have the people of Israel got it all backwards. And they said, we have the law because we are special and everyone else is less special than we are. Whereas when you look at what God said, he said, You're gonna, you get the law because I'm special. God said, I am the main character of your story, not you. 
He said, I'm setting you apart so that you can represent me to the world. Yeah. But they turned it around and said, oh, it's all about us. He set us apart because we are special. And that's not the truth. So the problem is that if what they were thinking is true, then the thing that makes them different and better is that they had to obey all those laws. And so they set themselves up and said, well, we obey the laws more than anybody else, so we're better than everybody else. But God knew they wouldn't be able to obey the laws. You know how I know? That's why he set up the, the system of sacrifices. Because he knew they wouldn't be able to obey the laws. It was never about them being special. They were only special that they were pulled aside, they were sanctified to represent God. That's the only thing that made them special. They were still human beings. They were still part of the nations of the earth, but they were called to represent God to the earth. God was the one who was special. Following the law for the Israelites, the point of them following the law was to make God the main character. So that when the other nations of the earth interacted with the Israelites, they would see that they were special because their God was special, not because they were special. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> the Jews made themselves the main character and then they passed judgment on everybody else. Y'all, this is why when God, when Jesus came down to earth, he offered the kingdom of God to who? Who did Jesus offer the kingdom of God to? All the religious people? No, he offered the kingdom of God to tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and Samaritans. And the Jewish leaders didn't get it because they weren't looking for a savior. They considered themselves already special. Yeah. So they weren't looking for a savior. They didn't think they needed a savior because they felt like they were already chosen by God. They were already the heroes of the story. That's why they expected the Messiah to come down and set up Israel as the main kingdom on the earth because they felt like they were the heroes of the story. And so when Jesus showed up and he offered the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God, to those who were on the outside, they didn't get it. And don't we do the same thing today? Christians, and please hear me, I'm not talking about the body of Christ. I'm talking about people called Christians. Some of them are the body of Christ, and frankly, I think some of them are not. Christians have made the gospel of Jesus Christ about themselves. Yeah. Jesus died for me. I'm special. I'm chosen. I'm the main character. I'm the hero of the story. I accepted Jesus as my Savior, so now the story is all about me. And you know what happens? It's when you set yourself up like that, just like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, suddenly you think that at that point you're no longer in need of a Savior. You're no longer in need of a hero. Because now I'm the hero. And we do the same thing today. And guess what? When we set up ourselves as the hero, the Christian hero, then anyone who disagrees with us is what? The enemy. They're the anti-hero. They're the uh, 
antagonist. So if I set myself up as a hero, a Christian hero, and you're different than me, or you believe differently than I do, guess what? I automatically turn you into the enemy. And Christians in America have done this to the nth degree. Because we set ourselves up as the heroes of the story, anyone who disagrees with the way I believe must be the enemy. This is why Paul said, our enemy is not flesh and blood. We're not fighting against people. You know why? Because Jesus is the hero. Not me. I have no right to look down on anyone else. I got in this big, long conversation one day with this guy that I, that I worked with, great guy, had a long conversation. Um, it's not a Christian at all. We had this great big long conversation about his belief system. He was very honest. We were very kind to each other, respectful of each other. And at the end, he looked at me and he said, so tell me something. He said, would your God tell me I'm wrong? And do you know what I said? I said, you know what? You're going to have to ask God because if, when it comes to his court of judgment, I'm in the defense box with you. Hmm. I have asked Jesus to be my representative in that court, but I don't have right to pass judgment on anybody. If you want to know what God thinks, you have the Bible, you can pray, you can ask him, but I'm in the defense box with you. I wasn't going to set myself up as the hero of the story and tell him how wrong he was. Do you realize that people don't need to be told that they're wrong? Yeah. Most of the time they already know. <laughs> Most of us know when we are wrong. Most of us know when our lives are not working properly. Yeah. Jesus is the hero. So I want to ask you, who is the main character of your story, of your chapter? You have a chapter in God's book. When you give your life to Jesus, you get a chapter in his book. But who's the main character of your story? Maybe you're still hiding in the rocks. Maybe you're trying to control your circumstances with money or manipulation or control to make yourself feel safe. Maybe you're still hiding in the rocks and you haven't come out to see what the hero has done to the enemy. That you are free to follow him. Maybe you're still trying to manipulate and control people in your life. Maybe you're still trying to gather money and power to make yourself feel safe. Listen, a lot of times in the chapter of people's lives, it involves drama. Sometimes it involves tragedy and abuse. Maybe in the chapter of your life, you have suffered horrible abuse. That happens because we live in a sin-sick world. So if we suffer abuse, who do we make the story about? Us. Listen, when we choose bitterness and anger and unforgiveness toward those who have hurt us, do you know who the main character of our story becomes? That person. That person. Hmm. That person. When we are consumed, when we allow ourselves to be utterly consumed in anger and bitterness and hurt, 
We make that person the main character of our story. And there's a hero standing there ready to come and set you free. Now, that doesn't mean the abuse never happened. It doesn't mean the bitterness never happened. And it absolutely does not mean that it's going to be easy. But all the best hero stories, you realize that there's a, there's a race to run. There's a battle to be fought. There's some, there's some effort that you put into it in order to be set free. But Jesus came and promised that he was the one to bind up the brokenhearted and to set free the captives. Jesus wants to be the hero. If you've been abused and hurt, Jesus wants to be the hero of your story and set your heart free so that that person that hurt you or the persons that hurt you are no longer the main character of your chapter. Jesus is. He's your hero. Maybe you think you're a person who thinks that you're in Christ, you believe you're in Christ, you've given your life to Him, but you consider your, and you consider yourself a follower of Him, maybe you're one who's misunderstood the story. Maybe you've attempted to make yourself the main character. Maybe you've started to look down on other people. Let me ask you a question. One way to tell what you consider your part in the story is, how much responsibility do you feel to make your story work out? Hmm. Do you feel like it's your job to make your story turn out okay? Hmm. Do you feel like you carry the responsibility to get everything in order, to make sure it all works so that you can have the happy ending? That is a responsibility you were never, ever meant to carry. You are not the main character. Listen, when you watch a movie, the hero carries the plot. The hero carries the battle. The hero is the one who has to make all the important decisions to get to the victory at the end of the story. And you are not meant to be the main character of your story. And if you're feeling all the pressure on you to make it all work out, you have yourself in the wrong role. And please don't hear that as a condemnation. We all tend to do this. But you know what? Jesus is the hero. He's standing next to you waiting to take that responsibility from you. And you follow him. Does that make sense? You don't have the power. You don't have the authority. You don't have the smarts, the creativity, the wisdom to make it all work. Jesus does. And he wants you to come along with him in his victory story. Yes, you will get glory, but you get glory as one of his followers in his victory story. Not in your own. Not in my own. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the one who has the responsibility, that heavy burden, to make it work, to carry the story to a victorious ending. You and I are supporting characters. In, if it's a battle, we take up our weapons and follow the hero into the battle. By the way, can I tell you that in Jesus' battle, in the kingdom battle, do you know what the weapons are? Love, joy, mm -hmm. peace, patience, mm -hmm. goodness, 
kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I was looking at joy when I said that because I always tend to leave one out. Usually it's kindness or gentleness. But I got all nine of them in there. Those are the weapons of our warfare. Did you know that? What did Jesus use to defeat the enemy? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And let me tell you one more thing before we do our self-check. In the chapter of God's book, that is the story of your life, you are not the goofy sidekick. I have one friend, and I, as I was meditating on this lesson, I texted him just as an encouragement, and I said, hey, I said, remember that Jesus is the main story of your life. You are just a supporting character. And he wrote back, and he said, he texted back, and he said, I think I'm the stunt man. <laughs> You're not the goofy sidekick. You're not a minor character in the chapter of your life, okay? That's what I want you to get. Jesus is the hero. He is the main character. Do you know what your part is? You're the love interest. You are the hero's love interest. You are the one that the hero gave his life to save. You're not just some minor background character, okay? You're not, you're not under man in back corner drinking coffee. Your name is in the credits. It's under Jesus' name, but you are the main love interest in the chapter of the story of, uh, of your life, which is part of the book of God. You are the main love interest. The one that the hero does everything to save. Because listen, Jesus didn't just save you on the cross. He's not just your hero 2,000 years ago. He's your hero today, right now. The Bible says that Jesus is constantly standing before the throne of God, representing you. He is constantly at work. He is working all things. For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He has gone to prepare a place for you. You are the love interest in the story. And while that is not the main part, that is a pretty stinking important part. The question is, will you listen to the hero? Do you know what's really frustrating to me? When the hero tells the love interest, okay, I have to go to battle. I need you to go do this. And the love interest is like on their way to go do what the heroes told them about. And they go like this. And they hear a noise and they go back into the battle they're not supposed to fight. Hmm. Part of our journey in the chapter of the story of our lives is learning to listen to the hero and do what the hero asks us to do. Sometimes the hero will ask us to leave the battle and let him fight it. Yeah. Sometimes the hero will give us a task to accomplish to aid him in fighting the battle. Sometimes the hero will hand us a weapon and say, come on, let's fight this together. 
But part of our journey in the chapter of our story, in the chapter of our life story, which is a part of the, of the book of Jesus' story, is learning to listen to the hero and do what he tells us. Because listen, when we do that, there will be glory for us. There will be safety and victory for us. It will be his victory, but we get to partake in it. So I want to end with our self-check for today. Here's, here's a, a good question to ask. In the story of your life, the chapter of the story of your life, are you leading or are you following? Are you trying to take control or are you going to the hero, going to Jesus, listening for his voice and walking in obedience to what he tells you? In the chapter of the story of your life in the book of God where Jesus is the hero, are you trying to lead or are you learning to follow him? Are you carrying all the burden to make the story work out okay? Or do you realize that that's his burden, your burden is to listen and obey? Have you made your abuser the main character in your story? Your story was never meant to be about your abuser. Yes, your abuser had a part that they played and it was wrong and it was evil and it was sinful, but they were never meant to be the main character of your story. Jesus is, the main, is meant to be the main character of your story. And when Jesus walks into the, your story and becomes the main character, he brings love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He brings healing for your broken heart. He sets the captives free from anger and free from wounding and free from hurt. And finally, are you still trying to find safety outside of the hero? Are you still running from the enemy, desperate to find a hole that you can crawl into that will keep you safe? I have good news for you. The hero is already on the battlefield and he is already winning. He is already taking his victory over the enemy. And the enemy is not people. He is already taking his victory over the devil and his demons who are trying to destroy you. The enemy comes only for three things. To kill, to steal, and destroy. And Jesus came and is here that we may have life abundant life. So I want to ask you today, would you bow your head with me? And let's ask the Holy Spirit to turn a light on the pages of my story. Show me who is the name that shows up the most often in my story. Is it my name? 
I chose to do this. Scott chose to do that. Scott said this. Scott said that. Is it an abuser? The abuser did this and then as the chapter continues, that what the abuser did continues to drive all the decisions? Or is Jesus, at the beginning, Jesus may only have a few sentences that here and there. But the longer we follow him, the more par paragraphs are consumed with what Jesus says and with what Jesus does and how Jesus sets free and how Jesus destroys the lies, how Jesus reveals the truth, how Jesus provides peace. The goal is that by the end of the chapter of our lives, Jesus has more sentences and paragraphs than we do. Mm. And that the, the, the abusers have just a minor part to play that's left behind because Jesus becomes the main character. So Holy Spirit, we come before you today. Would you open our minds to see the, the chapter that is the, the story of our lives? Shine your light on it. Show us the words. Show us, are we writing the story or are you writing the story? Is our abuser driving the storyline or is the glorious, amazing, wonderful, freeing love of Jesus driving the storyline? When other people come into my story, are they mostly aware of me? Are they mostly aware of the abuse? Or are they mostly aware that Jesus is the hero of my story? Jesus, you are worthy to receive all the honor and all the glory and all the, the applause let my story be about you. You be the hero. I am the undeserving love interest that even when I totally didn't deserve it, when I was a total traitor to the cause, you came down and set me free and brought me into relationship with you. And I don't deserve that, Jesus. You deserve all the glory for everything. Yes. Let my life story be another chapter in your book that shows how amazing you are. Yeah. In Jesus' name. Amen. So be it. So be it. So those of you who've joined me online, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I hope you found this challenging. Um, I hope you found it helpful. If you have, please feel free to like it, you know, subscribe, all the things on the channel, whatever. You know what? It's Jesus' story. It's not my story. It's not our story. It's Jesus' story. And if you feel like um, what we're doing here can be a help to glorify Jesus in your story, then we would love to be a part of that. Uh, but you know what? Just more than anything else, remember that Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the hero. So thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. We believe in you, but most important, we believe in Jesus in you. Thank you.